Welcome to episode number 39 of the Peaceful Power Podcast. And today we have an interview with Marilyn Canole. Sapphire training helps the on-the-go woman feel more energetic, find her inner peace, and become more powerful by creating a fitness lifestyle she loves. So today um, I interviewed Marilyn Canole, and she is from the Netherlands, and she is such an inspiration. This is one of her first... Um, podcast interview, she usually is the one hosting her podcast. So she's going to tell us a little bit more about herself. And we are going to go deep towards the end of the podcast about um, a sensitive subject to her, but it is a story worth sharing and I believe um, will help people if they have been through the same situation. So I'm going to first preview with a little background and a bio about who Marilyn is. She's a yoga teacher, a digital nomad. She's actually traveling the world right now for at least 15 months, a new country every month. Um, she's also an accountability coach, and she's the founder of a Her Way podcast, which features positive female role models and inspires people to live life on their terms. So she is such an inspirational woman. Um, I'm so excited for you guys to be introduced to her. So enjoy today's show. All right. I'm super excited today. Today I have a guest who I was actually a guest on her podcast. So now I we kind of flip the scripts and I'm going to talk to her. So today I have Marilyn Noel with us. I just we just practiced and I just goofed it up to start off the bat. So, Marilyn, go ahead and tell us a little about yourself. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And it's so weird. I was already saying to you, it's so weird to be at this uh, end of the site. Normally, I've got my notes. I'm prepared. I know everything I'm going to say. And this time, I'm being asked questions. So it's very, very lovely to be at this end. <laughs> Um, about me, everything always changes. I think that's the way if you're an entrepreneur. So basically, at the moment when we're talking, I am working in real estate with my partner. We are digital nomads, meaning we travel the world. We live in a different country every month. And at the moment, we're in Bulgaria. And for everyone who has the chance to come here, absolutely do it. It's glorious. Um, I am trained as a yoga teacher. I have an extensive background in track. So I used to run a lot of track till I got quite injured. And um, yeah, I run my own podcast on female role models. And I think that's me in a nutshell. Perfect. So I want to kind of, she's got so many fun um, little tidbits about herself. So we're going to kind of dive into each of those that she just kind of briefly touched on. So we're going to start off with what she's kind of currently doing. Um, her little on the side gig was podcasting. So um, I love her podcast. I was on it. She's an awesome host. So if you want to check that out. So will you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and all the inspiring women that you interview? Perfect. So it's called Her Way, which is maybe a bit cliche, but basically it is about her way, like how uh, inspiring women live their life. And it was kind of born as a two-way thing. At the one hand, uh, it came from the search for my personal role model. Now, I've got an amazing mother and she has taught me a lot of stuff, but especially when I was growing up, when I was in my teenage years, we clashed a lot. So I didn't see my mother as a role model that came later. Now, I definitely consider her to be. So I was kind of looking and lost and all the people I look up to, there were guys. And I was like, this is not right. There's so many women doing great, amazing things. So where are they? And then by chance, um, almost, I think one and a half years ago, I ended up in Bali at a conference my partner was at. And I wasn't there because of fun things. I actually had a little bit of a meltdown and my partner was at the other end of the world and he said, no, you're coming here. So I got flown to beautiful Bali and met all these incredible, beautiful women uh, changing the world, running great companies. And I thought, 
I found them now. I found them now and I'm not coming back next year and having not done anything with it. So um, yeah, I returned home and got over myself, over my little fear of starting, which I think we all have like, ooh, what if they don't want to talk to me or whatever? And I set up my podcast and now I have the absolute joy and privilege to talk to another amazing lady every week and I learn so much from it. And it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful and you know it you're podcasting too I don't even know how to describe it but it's just it's so funny you meet so many people from all over the world and it's uh yeah it's, it's lovely is that kind of what got you started with podcasting then just kind of exploring and just seeing the world and you decided that I need to share these women's stories yeah, that was part of it. Uh, also part of it that I have an extremely entrepreneurial boyfriend and he was like, when are you going to do something? And it just makes sense because I love sharing people. I love listening to people. I love sharing their stories. I love talking. I love hearing my own voice, which is good for the editing. But no, I, I just really, I needed to do something with that because I felt there was such a big need in my own life. And I always think if you really looking for something, if you really miss something, there are other people out there too who are looking for the same thing. And I think nowadays there's so many negative female role models and I think of course to each their own but I think the media does such a bad job sometimes portraying women and I think there needs to be counter forces to that and I'm very happy to be part of that and also I had an amazing guy in my own network who runs um, one of the most successful business uh, podcasts in New Zealand and Australia and he was very happy to help me out and get me started so it was it just rolled into it and I think that's with most things that you stick with and that give you energy it just happens organically and looking back you can kind of trace a line but at the moment it everything just happens oh I love that yes and then it is such a challenge I think when you first start you know just that first push to be like okay I can get through this you know which you did and jumped right in and I mean you just get to meet so many amazing people you know by doing podcasting um, and I love that's one of the things that I love about podcasting is all the people that you can meet <sighs> Yeah, and it also gets easier because when I started, like, that's a little bit the curse of starting. And you go like, yeah, I've got this podcast. And they're like, how many episodes have you released? I'm like, four. <laughs> so you begin with drawing on your own networks, which, like I said, I was very blessed because I was in Bali and I basically had all these ladies presented to me. Like, I had like 10 or 12 lined up. But then now it's so much easier because I'm up to episode 30, 40. So it's like I can show them to a properly set up website. I can actually see, like, this is how I operate. I know what I'm doing. And it just... Yeah, I think it's with everything in life. Once you take that first step and once you go through that first initial awkward phase, everything becomes easier. Totally. That's how I felt too about when I first interviewed. I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing. But, you know, now <laughs> as you go on, you're like, okay, it's just having a conversation with someone, you know, and you just might not have met them before, but it's kind of broadcasting that for everyone to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the biggest lessons that you've kind of learned from podcasting or one of your guests that you might have had on? I actually get asked this question a lot and I'm thinking about this a lot and I think it changes with my mood. So if mm -hmm. I'm very focused on a uh, particular area in my life, I think I reflect back to that in a podcast. And I think um, overall at the moment which has made the most impact on me was an episode I did with a lady who works as a recruiter and she was really all about um, – coaching women on their worth in the marketplace. And I think one of the gold nuggets I got from that episode was really knowing 
um, that, for example, when you go out and go job hunting, which is kind of this big, kind of scary thing, that um, in how you how you set yourself up and get a good salary, and also why it's so important to also uh, demand things from your employer in a sense that it's a two-way street. It's not just what you've got to offer; it's also what they got to offer. And I felt so fortunate to hear that message at quite a young age. And I recently had a recruiter reach out to me, not that I'm looking for a job, but. I think a year ago, I probably would have been so impressed with the fact that I got offered this full-time job that I would um, be almost intimidated by it. And now I could just look at it and I was like, well, it's lovely that you're reaching out to me. I really appreciate that. But at this moment, it's not the right thing for me. Thank you very much. And just just saying that without having that little voice in your heart going, oh, you should go for security. You should do this. That was really a blessing. Oh, that's awesome. And that, which do you know which episode off the top of your head? I think episode 32 or 33 was with Anna Hodges and she's, she's so lovely. She's, she's the mom of two little boys and she's so down to earth and, and, and no, she was, she, she was so fun. And I, I love interviews because like that, because sometimes you just meet someone and you just, whenever I think of Anna, I can see her and I can see her, how she's sitting there and how she's doing her little voices. And that episode just gave me a good buzz for like three, four days after that. Oh, so yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'll have to go and listen to that one. <laughs> So kind of switching gears. So this is something that we, um, you briefly talked about, and this is like me, um, when I was being interviewed by you and you had talked about this and I wanted to ask you questions, um, while you were asking me about your track life. So I know this was something that you grew up with. You were a big track athlete. Um, and I, can you tell us a little bit more about that and you, where you grew up and how kind of the culture around sports was there and, um, how far track took you and what you kind of got out of your track life? Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of questions. I hope to remember <laughs> yes. all of them, otherwise just steer me. But um, I think the main thing is, uh, as you might have picked up on, I'm not a native English speaker. So if you had guessed I'm from the Netherlands, correct, <laughs> 10 points for you. Uh, so I'm from the Netherlands and we are very, very active people. Basically, we bike everywhere, which is glorious. So um, when I was in high school, for example, I would bike six kilometers to school, which is about four miles. So I would bike four miles to school, go to school, bike back, um, so and then bike back to my uh, the the place where I run track, and then bike back. So at any given day, I would bike. 15 to 20 miles and that was just getting to places like we don't drive cars like that we are only allowed to drive I think it's 17 now but we do everything by bike so if you want to go somewhere you're going to be fit so I think that that's that's part of the culture and Dutch people in general we're, we're very active and my mom um, always emphasized um, exercising it was really important for her I think I was probably a little bit hyper as a kid too but uh, I had to exercise three to four times a week that was like mandatory it was not negotiable oh, wow is that outside um, of school? Yeah, that was outside of school. And my mom just uh, had a very, like, she's like, no, it's good for you. You're going to do this. And I could choose whatever I wanted to do. So I've, I think I've done everything from ballet, which was not that great a hit, to <laughs> like track to, I don't even know what I did. I could basically try anything. And uh, track was something that really stuck with me. And um, yeah, I really loved it. So I started doing that when I was seven and then I made my little friends there and you kind of you kind of stay in the system. And then I, I was always a good runner. So I'm quite, you can't see it in the podcast, but I'm quite slim. I've got relatively long legs. So that kind of makes sense to be, be a runner. So I was a long distance runner. I need to run at least a, like a mile to get into flow. So the short distances never really did it for me. 
And um, yeah, so part of the uh, the club I was on, it was mandatory to compete at least, I think, once or twice a year. So they get you into the habit of competing. And I had to do, I don't even know all the English words, but when I had to do the high jump or the like everything with weights or throwing, I would just suck at that. But <laughs> then the running came and I kind of made up for the points. I always ended up in the middle. And um it just just was something very natural to me. I could my little brother too when he first started running as like I don't know, I was doing it and he came to a competition. He just ran a four mile without even practicing. That's just how we're built. And I, th- I remember when I was 12, I was getting like better and I was competing more. And um, I had this friend and I'm, I used to be friends with a lot of guys and I'd be very competitive. So if they did 40 push-ups, I did 50 push-ups because oh, why not? <laughs> so this friend of mine, he goes and he goes like, oh yeah, I just registered for this um, 3.5 mile, I think if you convert it. And I was like, oh really? You're going to do 3.5? I'm going to do seven. <laughs> so I did my first um, 10K, which I don't know exactly in miles, but I think everyone will kind of know what it is. Um, I did that in 56 minutes without having ever run more than about one and a half miles before because they keep the little children because of the bone structure. They don't allow you to run long distances. So, And I finished that. And let me say, it wasn't a pretty sight how I crossed that finish line. But I did it and then something happened and I think we all have it. When you just start doing something and it feels so natural for you and you're good at it, it's like, hey, wait. So after that, I basically started to get more and more serious and um, yeah, just just started running more, practicing more. At first, I practiced with every competition. I practiced for the next competition. I ran a competition like every week. Um, and when I was 14, I got scouted. So we have like, uh, had our local club, but there was, uh, a, like a team that, that covered a larger geographical area and I got scouted by them at 14. And this is when I really became serious and started adding like weight training to it, which I'd never even thought I needed. And at some, a certain point I actually started exercising, um, training up to 10 times a week, which is crazy because I was this 14 year old girl and, it was a really great time. So I had like a training camp in Portugal, which is at the other side of Europe. And I met my uh, a boyfriend there, which I'd been together with him for five years. And it was it was just a lovely time. But at the end, I'm a very ambitious person. So I'm like a person that's all or nothing. That's why I went from, oh, I can do this at age 12 to getting into speed score and then like doing it 10 times a week. And in the end, that's not sustainable. And um, I, so I couldn't hardly go to birthday parties because if you have to be up at seven to run your next match the next day, you're not going to stay at a party. And what 16-year-old uh, party starts at eight? So basically, if the parties would have started at six and run till 10, I would have been fine. But that, that's not the case. So my social life started to really um, suffer from that. I was very, very uh, competitive and my coach was also very pushing and whereas that would have worked for other people, for me as a 15, 16 year old girl that just didn't work and when you uh, get judged every night, so I would run laps and I would run like up to 24 separate laps and I would get judged on seconds or tens of seconds every time again and think after a while I just I just broke down and I really... Um, yeah, with pain in my heart, gave up track. And it was hard because I'm not sure if, you, if you've if you got a lot of track runners listening to this, but it really gives you that high. I really, I love nothing more than that rush you get, like that runner's high after about seven kilometers. I really had to kick off. I really became really sad for a while. I really had to like go down from 10 to six to four to two to one. And that, that 
took a year to really stop track. <laughs> wow. So like how old were you when you stopped completely? When I stopped completely, well, it's it's double. So I stopped really competing at 17 when I decided, well, I, I found, uh, I started doing yoga and I, I gradually transitioned to that. Um, I still ran with my dad or just for fun. And then um, when I was 20, I met my current partner and he had this crazy idea. He's like, oh, we're going to run a marathon in North Korea. Like I said, I do everything like not or totally over the top. So I was like, <laughs> okay, of course we're going to run a marathon in North Korea. And I made the mistake of, um, so I, but over the years I'd become quite flexible, which I'd never been because of all the yoga. And I had not quite realized how that had changed my body. Mm. And so I, I went to another club at the study, uh, a city where I was studying at that moment. I was like, hello, competition team, here I am. And uh, went there, did about four months of super intensive training, trying to prove myself, going into um, very intensive trainings. And also the problem was, my muscles got injured before I got tired. So I just don't get tired. I have the stamina, but my muscles couldn't keep up. So after four months of that, I ended up so badly injured that I basically wasn't allowed to exercise for a year. And even till today, I'm running maybe once every two months because my knees are just, just not having it, sadly. Oh, so, wow. uh, yeah. <laughs> so in the Netherlands, do you have like a system? Like, cause I know in the US, like when you're in high school, like you're recruited by colleges. Like, do you guys have that too? that kind of like from high school, you're trying, your goal is to make it to college or maybe the Olympics or what are kind of the goals after that? I think um, that was also one of the reasons why I quit actually. So you have the, the youth system too. So to, up until 18, you kind of compete in um, the younger leagues. So I was uh, around, usually around the 13th of the Netherlands. So I was like good, but I was not good enough to go to Europe. I think the first six usually go to European uh, level. But um, also you can't live from track. So I always knew even if I would have made it to European level, I would still have struggled. And um, we don't really do the scholarships. It's um, maybe for soccer they do. They have like the whole academies and they try to scout them real young and train them by their own clubs. But let me tell you, in the Netherlands, um, I paid 2,000 euros to tuition for my college degree a year, which is almost the same in dollars. So $2,300 a year. You don't need a scholarship. Like, uh, if you want to study, you don't need to, like, exercise to get in. You just need a summer job and you, you can go to college. So it's a little wow. bit different in that sense. That's, that's amazing. I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> well, that, that is, um, well, truly then, if you're, you know, your passion wasn't in it anymore and wearing out your body. And I'm sure that sometimes definitely, because I'm now 32 and I... Thankfully, my knees have held up, but I know a lot of people, you know, who like my husband, who's going to be 40 next year, like his hips, knees from playing basketball for many years are really starting to wear down. And I know that hits people at different ages. My mom was a track athlete in college. Um, and so her knees are kind of shot from doing that. So I totally know that that kind of definitely wears down on the body, just the years of pounding. So what kind of got you away from that? I know yoga, but how did you transition from that track to the yoga at 17 like that's crazy did someone introduce it to you or you just kind of stumbled upon it I was I was honestly I was the typical 17 year old in the sense that I loved to read all these girly magazines oh, and yes. um, <laughs> yoga was the new big thing and mm -hmm. I don't know I think I just read it somewhere and it just kept on popping up so I was at that time I was really I was burned out I was really done with it um, my 
yeah, it was it was just not a good place. And also because I ran in a team with a lot of guys. And like I said, I'm always very competitive. So I would always want to be not as good as the girls, but as good as the guys. Mm. And I think what really hit me just before I started making the switch was I always tried to beat my boyfriend who was, first of all, a guy and in track that matters. And he was three years older. Mm. So I uh, realized that if I would run as fast as he would, I would have been world champion easy. <laughs> And I think once that hit and, and once I really started to realize that I was really dragging myself to the to the exercising every time, I was like, no, something's got to change. And I really, I can't even tell you how I ended up at this yoga class, but I was like, no, we're going to do this. Convinced my parents, like, um, you gotta you got to pay for some yoga classes. And I went and I think... What had definitely helped was that I had a very attractive yoga teacher. Like, yeah. hey. <laughs> no, but the, the thing was, it was, I, I really distinctively remember this moment because, uh, like I said, I was also doing a lot of uh, weight exercise. So, like, squatting and a lot of, like, just really getting that core strength in, which is super important if you want to run, which a lot of runners forget. And I remember that in that yoga class we did eight or ten the same exercises only whereas in the, the track practice I would always collapse because I would tense every muscle mm. in my body because I was in that resistance in yoga they um, really let me relax all the muscles I did not need and I could do all two to three times as much without half, with, with only half of the effort and I think something clicked in my brain and I was like whoa this this is really a way different uh, um, approach to all of this. I had been so much fighting and so much been, I've been like, yeah, such a fighter, such a push energy just really was draining me. And here I could do something that was really good for my body that was equally uh, effective, but I would actually be recharged at the end of it. And I think that was uh, plus the fact that I had a, found an exercise form where at the end you can lay down with a blanket on top of you. <laughs> that was the thing that really, um, really made a difference to me and why I started going to go to more yoga classes and gradually starting to go to less uh, high intensive uh, sessions with my trainer. Yes. No, I told I had kind of the same thing happen to me with um, Pilates. Um, right after college, I did this private Pilates session. I pretty much had that same feeling of I, you know, I had been lifting for, at that time, maybe six years since I was 16. And, um, I went to the Pilates and the gal's like, no, like move this little, you know, muscle group. And I'm like, <laughs> I am. And she's like, no, you're moving, you're moving everything. Just this little one. I was like, I don't know how to do that. And I was sitting there. I'm like, how do I not know how to do this? You know, I'm like, I've been an athlete for how many years I've lifted weights. And like, you're asking me to do this little thing. And I'm like, I cannot figure out how to move just this muscle group. So I totally can relate to that in the terms of like, wow, I've been using my body for how many years and, you know, I'm athletic and no idea how to decipher little muscles from like the big muscle groups. So I totally agree with you on the yoga can be the same thing. Cause I think when I came into yoga, I'd already practiced that Pilates a little bit. So I learned that. So what kind of style of yoga do you prefer? It, it really, um, it changed over the years. So when I started, I'd been a runner for 10 years, remember? So the whole thing like touched the floor, that was never going to happen. Yeah. I was I was barely past my knees. So at that time, what I really needed was, um, I think also some gen some gentle yoga. I needed, I needed to get those hamstrings longer, but I needed to do it in a way where I would not tear them off in the process. So I think uh, that was gentle yoga. And then afterwards, I really got into Ashtanga. Like I said, I like to push. So Ashtanga, hot yoga is really the thing. But um, And I like to release 
try every style. I like to shop around. I like to take and take bits and pieces. But uh, my personal style, especially when I teach, is a little bit of a challenge, but definitely more on the flow side, definitely more on the feeling side, because I just think it's way more interesting. I mean, like um, one of the things my teacher said to me, that very first teacher, she said, um, actually the second teacher, the first one was the substitute, very pretty guy. But she said to me, you are, what you're doing is you're moving through things. You are masking things by moving through them. I was like, nah, 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 I'm not rushing away from that statement. And then the more I look back at my yoga journey, the more, um, the more I can actually be in a moment and feel the more interesting things get. Because I see that, for example, with my partner. My partner is a typical New Zealand bloke. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do yoga. And he pushes through it. And then and I, and I look at him and I'm, I'm going, we're in the same yoga class and we do the same pose. And I'm like, why isn't this heavy for you? And then I realize because he's still working with these very big mm-hmm. movements. And it's so much de- more delicate and actually more difficult working with those little movements. So I think... I'm totally going away from what you asked, but I think what I find so interesting about that flow and that muscles is just just how how much you can fine-tune it. And it's it's just this big play. And I think any yoga form in which I can play and ex- uh, explore rather than push, I think that's something uh, that, that I stick with. Oh, yes. No, I totally agree with, I mean, it's all about staying in your body and in your mind. So that's the, when you come to that realization, which definitely it doesn't come, you know, the first time you go to a class or even probably the second, I mean, it takes you, I mean, probably a year maybe before I kind of got it. And then I really didn't get it until I went to teacher training program before I was like, Oh, so this is really what should be going on mentally with your breath, with your body, you know, and trying to teach that to people, I think can be difficult. Um, I guess in the mainstream here in the U S I don't know if you find that, um, across where you guys are you teaching wherever you travel then these last few months I have been teaching in Morocco but actually I traveled with a group of uh, 60 people so I've actually been teaching the people in the group so I know them most of them are American um, I, I do what I mainly find is what I found in my own country as well that it really depends on the teacher itself that it not mm-hmm. even you can have a very strong yoga um, style with a teacher who can still make it very soft and light and flowing because that's his or her style and you can have very yin styles or very like flowy styles which can be very hard and it really depends and the funny thing actually was um, I'm in Bulgaria at the moment and the lady I take lessons with here she has been trained by uh, one of the teachers she was living in the Netherlands before one of the teachers who trained her was my teacher in the Netherlands so and this is exactly the same style and it, it, wow. it's, it's very funny oh that's too funny well that's one of the benefits too of traveling you get to run into those you know places that I'm sure most people are not going to have that chance to do so that's really cool so what are some of the biggest lessons that yoga has taught you Oh boy, <laughs> um, I think there there's so much and I think it's it's mostly the lessons I don't want to learn and that's what also makes it so interesting. Um, I think it's the lot of, uh, it's, it's letting go, it's letting that grace into your life and it sounds so hippie, I know it, but it, it really is like that. You can, like I said, you can really push through your life or you can write it kind of go with that flow and, and go, go where the least resistance goes and I think that really... Uh, is something that it taught me it taught me to let go and accept like I remember being in this yoga class with one of my favorite teachers and she was like yeah yeah just put your leg here and then behind your neck and then and I was like 
no, there is just no way in hell. And I think I really, I really enjoyed being so bad at it at first. And no, I know you can't be bad at yoga when you're breathing. But I mean, for a beginner, if you don't know all the poses or if you can't do what the rest of the group is uh, doing, you kind of feel like you're bad at yoga. And I actually really liked that because it gave me... Uh, kind of safe space no one had any expectations mm. and it was like a big big playground and I I wasn't a good, the, the successful athlete I wasn't a smart girl I was I was just a beginner who had no clue how to put her leg behind her neck and I still don't but <laughs> it's it, it's just lessons like that I think it's the small lessons and I think often like I said it relates back to your life as well I think often on the yoga mat I learn a lesson I need in my life right now and even if I don't um, realize it at that moment itself often I can look back and go like ah so that's what's going on that's yes I love that with the just the beginner mindset because I think that's so common with people when they first come to yoga and thinking oh I'm not good I'm like no there's I mean everyone's on their own personal journey and on their practice and I still, I mean, I, my hamstrings are just from lifting weights and running. And that's just what I mainly do. And I do yoga a couple times a week, but it's not going to be enough to probably ever get me to be super flexible on my hamstrings. But I still go to my yoga. I still enjoy it. Like I'm still a teacher. And I think showing people that you don't have to, you know, be the teacher who puts their leg behind your head. They're like, oh, okay, this is, this is for everyone. Like everyone can do this. So I love that that's kind of where you find your playfulness too, is just not having those expectations of I need to look a certain way, you know, and that transcends to the students that you're teaching because they can feel that. And also what I, what I really love this analogy the other day, um, a lot of people say I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. Mm. And that's like saying like, I'll start dieting once I'm in shape or <laughs> I'll start going to the gym once I've got my six pack. It's not the way it works. You're not, you don't do yoga because you're flexible. You're flexible because you do yoga. And like, trust me, if you fold yourself into a pretzel eight, dice, eight, eight times a week or whatever you do, you will get flexible. It's inevitable. And what, by the time you're flexible, you always have also have realized that that's not even the point of the exercise. But I just, I really, whenever tells me I can't do yoga, I look at them and like, can you breathe? And they're like, yeah, I can breathe. I'm like, congratulations, you can do yoga. <laughs> it takes a few times, but people usually usually come around. And that was also what I loved about teaching in uh, the group I'm traveling with last month. I had a lot of guys, especially, were like, yeah, I've never done it. And so many are just curious, and they came around, and they really loved it, and they did a great job. And especially guys, they're so few guys doing yoga whereas for example for headstands or handstands they've got such amazing upper body strength i wish i had that upper body strength so a lot of guys are actually quite good at yoga good at yoga whatever mm -hmm. um without even realizing and i think that was also biggest uh, an eye-opener on the physical part that yoga taught me i always thought i was inflexible because i had tight hamstrings because all we ever do is look at our hamstrings if you can touch the floor well if you're not you're not flexible and i turned out to have this amazing flexible back and super flexible hips but i would never have known that if i'd never attempted to put my legs in a lotus so it also taught me just to admire what your body can actually do. And it is also the benefit of having all those crazy poses because there are so many crazy poses. One of them will suit you very well. There's always one. So you're always flexible and inflexible at the same time. Oh, that's awesome. So is yoga kind of your main form of a workout? You know, now that you travel so much, do you do any, I mean, because I know you said you run maybe bi-monthly. Um, do you lift weights or do anything else? Or is yoga is probably the easiest to do when you're traveling? It is, but I must actually admit I'm going to be sending my yoga mat home soon because I 
I'm bad at home practice. And I know mm -hmm. they say if you only practice yoga in a studio, uh, it's like all, as if you're only meeting your husband in a bar. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that's what it is. That. That is <laughs> yeah, it is. But oh, I, I just great. love going to a studio. I love connecting. I love learning. And I really enjoy not teaching so much and being a student. So um, what I actually try to do is just doing the little things. So I know for a lot of people, including, for example, my partner, exercise is something that's really forced, right? Something that they have to do. And I've been always been one of these people. I need to move. I love to move. It's just my body craves it and I need it. And it is tough when you travel and it is tough when you have like, you know, fast food is easy and you're sitting a lot. You're in buses. For example, in Morocco, I was in Rabat. I was not going to go for a run or a walk there by myself. I was spend a lot of my day in, in like kind of Uber-like situations. And it, it does take a toll on you. So what I try to do, I'm, I'm in love with Bulgaria. I'm in an apartment on the fifth floor and we have no elevator. So whenever I want to leave my apartment, I got to walk down five five. Uh, uh, no, it's 10 sets of stairs really because they go halfway and it's been really great for my uh, shape and also what I just love to do is also to go with the flow I like to so like build in those little blocks of exercise I like to walk everywhere if I can I like to take stairs and I like to try new stuff so in Spain I joined this amazing women's gym in Lisbon I rekindled my love affair with Vikram in uh, Morocco, I actually taught quite a, quite some yoga. Here, I'm practicing yoga. And for example, today we went out with a group of girls and we did something. I don't even know what it's called. It's like with hoops in the air and you kind of pull yourself up and do all kinds of acrobatic things. Aerial and yoga? Aerial, no, yeah. it's not aerial yoga. They had like kind of silks and ropes and hoops. I don't know, but it was great fun. We're going belly dancing on Thursday and um, dancing is a big one. I love to dance. And so you can go to a club and as long as you make sure you don't drink booze all night, but you drink water, you are exercising. If you're dancing for four hours, oh my goodness, you'll be in shape. So it's just like really playing with it and really integrating it into your life because if I don't integrate it in my life, I, I don't have a steady gym. I don't have, have like a personal trainer who travels the world with me. So I have to keep it that way. And that way it's actually really, really easy to stay in shape and stay fit while traveling. Oh, so it's like basically your world or the backyard is your playground. Just whatever yeah. kind of, wherever you're at, you kind of see what's there and what the culture likes to do and try it. That sounds awesome. And a great way for people to find whatever their, you know, fitness passion might be. So that is wonderful advice oh, yeah. for people, you know, maybe even if, if they don't travel like you do, but going outside of their backyard and seeing, okay, what classes maybe should I try or have I not tried that are right here that I've never thought about doing, you know, and just getting out there and trying it. And ask your friends, because nowadays there's so many people who have like this thing. And a lot of people I travel with uh, are really obsessed by CrossFit. Now, I must mm. say, I'm not really drawn to it. Like, I, I get it. It's a great thing. But I, I did burpees with them. I don't think they're that horrible. I think they're a little bit weird. But no, but the thing is, you've got, most people have got quite an extensive network. And even if you don't have so many, like, friends you chat with on a day-to-day -day basis, we're all super busy. You've got colleagues or you've got, like, social networks online. And there's always those few, like me, a few gym freaks who actually like to exercise and who are more than happy to take you along with them. So just go to your friend who always has this amazing shape or her skin always seems to be glowing and ask her what she does. And you know what? She'll more than likely very happily share it with you. And you try something. And I remember my first Zumba class I had with a friend. I'm never going back to Zumba. I was horrible at it, but I will remember and cherish that afternoon for forever because it was hilarious and I'm very glad there were no smartphones around <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> so what about on the like the mental side the meditation side 
Do you do any meditation practice? Oh boy, I'm so bad at meditation. And that's probably why I did because I really, really need it. But I just sitting still, it just... I just remember this this um, day we had in my teacher training and I just kept on sitting still and he was just like, just sit still and think of nothing. And I got this rage attack and I was like, oh my God, if you say this one more time. <laughs> but I, I kind of, I, I really like to work with the breath. So I really like to focus on the breathing. I really like the uh, kind of sun salutations, like the moving meditation. And I, I do like to practice meditation, but not in a traditional sense. I like to really be mindful, something we really forget in our current world. So we're also glued to our smartphone. We're also, so I like to, when I'm eating, for example, I had this, I did this in Morocco, where I just really took one bite and was not already rushing towards the next bite, but really focused on that one bite. And then when I was done, focused on the next bite. I like to, like I said, I like to play. I like to do those little kind of exercises. And I think that's keeping me way happier and saner. But I do, I do need meditation. And I think, especially in the world, I work a lot online. I work on social media. I go nuts if I don't have something to call me. And I think that's why I loved running so much. Because it's just, you know, your head just switches off and you just move. And you just feel the muscles, like the strength of that. And I think we all need to find some way or another that calms us down and we can classify as meditation and keeps us sane in this world oh totally and those are our different forms of meditation you know focusing on the breath whether it be a moving meditation that's totally you know if that's something that you can get into your life something is better than nothing you know rather than just sitting if that's not your thing so i would commend you that you are doing some meditation <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just not the traditional sense that you were trained in, but that's still some form. I think my parents have already given up on me being anything traditional. So I think <laughs> it, you just got to do you just got to do you. And I think I think a lot of the people we're so hard on ourselves. We set such massive goals, so we never exercise, and we say I'm going to go to the gym six times a week for two hours. Well, guess what? You're going to fail within two weeks. So I I would love to share. So my I have like this 51 percent rule, and I learned this during my teacher training. So in Ayurveda, they say what you do most is what matters most so um and this reflects back so a lot of people when they set goals they say 100 but if you set a goal at 100 and you do 90 even though you're doing great you will have failed and then people for example dieting people go eat very healthy and they eat one cookie or one piece of chocolate and then they they totally give up because they failed and then i go back to their bad eating habits again whereas if you say I'm going to eat healthy like four times, uh, four days a week out of seven or 51% of the time or whatever percentage you choose. If you do 51% as your goal and you then do 80, you have done amazing. And I think stuff like that, people are just so hard on themselves. And like me with the meditation where I, I'm an example of it too, I immediately say, I don't meditate. Whereas I do, I just should not be so hard on myself that I'm not sitting on the pillow and following the Zen master. <laughs> yes, totally. I mean, all of that, that is, I mean, great for people too. When I, you know, work with clients too on their workouts and I give them workout calendars and I'm like, okay, how many did we get in? You know, how many workouts did you get in since you last saw me? And, you know, getting in something is better than nothing. And then sometimes people, you know, they might have missed only one workout and then they beat themselves up. I'm like, no, that's okay. I mean, you still got in maybe four or five workouts. You missed yeah. one. Like, that's really good. <laughs> so yeah. that's where, you know, commending people to be like, no, pat yourself on the back more than we do. So now that you travel so much, we're going to go into the food thing since you just briefly brought it up. So are there any weird or unique foods that you've eaten and then... How easy is it to find healthy foods in all these countries? 
Well, I must say, I mean, I'm a very boring eater. Like, I don't do that many spices. I try to stick with what I know. But I have I have this friend, and she she's eaten all kinds of crazy stuff. So in Morocco, she has had uh, cow's brains. Uh, she had had bull's balls. She has had uh, rice with squid ink and stuff. She's she's doing the crazy for both of us. But uh, no, I'm actually really uh, sticking to what what feels good to my body and really. Um, and I do struggle. Like uh, when you're all day at airports, we all we've all been there. It's it's really hard to find something nutritious. But I just try not to sweat the small stuff. And I so one thing I've done. I've gone back to eating vegetarian. I used to be a vegetarian for like 11 years. Then I quit for one and a half years, and now I'm back. And I okay cheat because yeah well I, I really think we should not um, be so strict on ourselves if you really want something just go have it so I have a burger every once in a month and, and of the other than that it's vegetarian which makes it a lot easier to eat healthier because if you're eating vegetarian and especially in the countries I travel they don't do the meat supplements like in the Netherlands we had like all these fake burgers a lot of soy it was super easy they don't have that here so I'm eating a lot more vegetables because of that and um, I try to cook a lot we have the luxury that we stay mainly in apartments and not in um, hotels so I can stock my fridge and I can cook myself and for example I just ba uh, baked a bunch, a bunch of uh, cookies and like I will just compromise in the sense that yes there are chocolate cookies but I baked them myself so I know exactly what's in it so there's not all these chemicals and um, so no the eating eating really depends on the country I, I remember in Morocco we were we were in the Sahara Desert for 10-12 days and literally all they gave me was couscous because I did not eat meat so my boyfriend had like all these dishes I got couscous with vegetables or tagine with exactly the same vegetables and after 12 days of lunch and dinner of couscous even if I was hungry they put the couscous in front of me I just I couldn't do it I could not eat anymore so I was I was very happy to leave Morocco for that <laughs> sense and I'm, I'm not eating couscous anytime soon <laughs> not on the meal plan for the next week <laughs> Um, so kind of switching gears, so this is something that we um, briefly brought up during um, the podcast when I was interviewed by you. So I know that something happened to you um, and yoga definitely helped kind of heal you there. So I know and you said you were open to talking about this. So I know that you were raped and yoga helped kind of heal you. So can you tell us a little bit how that um, came about? Yeah, so it was about, I think, almost one and a half years ago now, I, I was raped by someone I trusted and I thought what was a friend well that didn't turn out to be the way and um what happened after that was I, I was in shock i was i was very confused i was i had a lot of uh medical things to take care of of course because you you are in a lot of uncertainty and i think what happened after that um i got i got in sh i really into shock and I got actually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress syndrome that's also the thing that people have when they come back from war and they really it's what what you um, get if you really can't cope with a traumatic event what happened to you when it just you constantly staying at fight or flight and you're really for me for example I could barely leave my house and it was also why I ended up in Bali like I mentioned earlier because my partner was away and he said no you can't stay alone now you're coming to Bali so it was really really um, an interesting journey so during my first yoga teacher training I was dealing with a breakup 
and um, I was together with the guy for five years and, and during the yoga teacher training it was extremely everything came out right so every training day I would be crying on a mat it would be this big blubbering mess and whereas it was really healing it was a very intense experience so I kind of knew that that was going to happen again if I stepped on a yoga mat so I think I actually did not go for two two months or something I could just first of all I did not want to leave my house second of all um, for anyone who's practiced uh, yoga hip openers bring out all the stored emotion I was not going to go into any hip openers no and also what happened is um, I've noticed this a lot whenever there is an emotional distress of me my body I get injured like my body is kind of really slowing myself down by force it's like no you're not doing this so I was injured a lot I was um, well not, not doing well and when I stepped back on the mat after three months, it was, it was madness. It was not even about the physical thing. I think I spent my first lesson about three quarters of it in uh, child's pose. I left rooms when we did shavasanas because I could not cope with the fear of having to lie there and just I, I could not deal with it because I felt trapped because we're all you know like these nice people we don't want to disturb other people so I felt so trapped so I've run out of yoga studios a number of times and after a while all the yoga teachers kind of knew that that was probably going to happen but it was it was really a really emotional release so about six months of practice were solely dedicated to just feeling, just feeling all that hurt that was in there, just feeling all that fear that was in there. And after those six months, I could finally go back into feeling other things. And I think after after nine months, after, after I got raped, I had my first almost a little bit normal practice again, where there was finally space for anything beyond, beyond that big blackness. And um, But it had a lot of effect on my body too. So I was in Portugal three months ago, and it, I, I got out of a Bikram yoga class. Bikram yoga is very healing, very, very hot. And my lower back really hurt. And the teacher, she was a darling. She was really, like, really worried about me and really, and, and really uh, scared. I was like, no, this is a great thing. Because for over a year, I could not feel the area of my body between, like, my navel and my upper thighs. I had, like, no... Of course, if I put my hand on there, I could feel it. But for someone, especially like me, who'd been exercising all her life, who could control every little muscle... I could not do it. And what was also very interesting, I always used to have a very flexible lower back, but my lower back was locked for a year and then my upper back started taking over. So I, before everything happened, I had a very flexible lower back and a very inflexible upper back. And now I've got a very flexible upper back, which took over and a very inflexible lower back. And I'm still regaining um yeah really the control over that because what your back what your body in general does but especially your back if you have uh, pain but i learned especially also trauma in certain kind of uh, area in your body your body shuts it down so after six weeks of pain your body starts protecting yourself and takes away all that like fine fine motorism and so to really, and you don't realize it anymore because you don't feel it. So for me to um, regain that feeling, which I didn't even know I'd lost, that was, that was incredible. And that was really a journey. And I was, I remember, and I, I know other people who go through, um, whether it's, it's, it's a loss of someone, whether it's a heartbreak, whether your own tragedy, tragedy because we all have our own tragedy in our lives. It can be super confronting to go back on a yoga mat, but it is scary and it, you will go through a process because you start to opening up and opening up is so scary and it's so vulnerable 
but it, it's so rewarding and it was it was such a healing journey and just just lying there and just knowing it was going to be okay and just it was yeah and my injury started to go away and I started to be able to be on the medic and I started to, to breathe again to reconnect to me and it was it was a wonderful scary messed up horrible funky whatever everything in one healing story and I think that that's life it just was a very intense form of life in that yoga mat really wow thank you so much for sharing that and that's definitely I'm sure it's going to help you know people who have might have gone through this or are going through it currently and um I know that the physical and emotional self that you've really discovered you know that connection and you know just talking about that in the yoga practice is there anything else that you kind of did to help with that did you journal or meditate or anything else to kind of help you work through that well, the first thing I, I did after I got out of denial, so I'm I'm very like, no, I don't need any help. I've rationally decided I'm going to be okay, um, which does not work because it's not your rational part, it's your emotional part. So I think the main thing I did was seek help. And this is also a big cliche, but it's, and, and you think when you're on the outside, you think, you should you want help but you don't because i knew as soon as i was going to start to someone first of all i would have to trust someone new i did not trust anyone i was not going to talk to anyone and also i didn't want it to be true so as, as soon as i would start to seek help it would be true so it took me about three four four months before i actually admitted defeat in that sense like actually not admitting defeat before i started my victory before i started to get my life back in track and I remember this because I was lying hyperventilating on my kitchen floor I was like no no this is not not the way I'm going to live my life this is not the way I'm going to do this and just going to the therapist and I, I remember sitting in that office and so I had two therapists in front of me and, and insurance wise they have to like really document everything and so so I was telling what happened and and so she said yeah there's three options right you've got like short uh short uh, sessions you've got like the medium length uh, of like the sessions and the long and I was like oh I'm sure I'll get short and she was like no no you're going into intensive and you're probably going into more and I think that moment it really hit me it just the fact that I deserved help and and it is such a weird thing because if I say it now of course I deserved that help but asking for it in that position when you're already feeling vulnerable is so so important and just everything started going into motion just talking to people I'd always always shared about to people because that's my way because I was so pissed off because one in six women go through this and I hadn't even heard that and no one talked to me and then when I started sharing so many people came to me and shared their stories and which made me very grateful and sad at the same time but just having that help having my partner I could not be where I was today without his support and just just everyone everyone just just being in that support network but the first step was really acknowledging it and again like the lesson my first yoga teacher taught me don't rush through it don't just go into that automatic but really being in that moment and I know being in a moment can be super uncomfortable and I didn't even realize how uncomfortable being in a moment being in a moment could be until I was sitting in therapy having to relive the experience in order to get mm -hmm. better afterwards but 
it, it has taught me a lot of patience. And I always like to refer to something like uh, Tony Robbins calls emotional muscles. And something I do struggle a bit with is that when I share my story, a lot of people, they um, feel like their stories become insignificant, which is absolutely not true. But just as we train our muscles, just as we when we lift, we train our arms, we also have emotional muscles. And I had the unfortunate situation where I had to make them real strong in a really quick time. But if you are going to train your emotional muscles, if you, for example, right, I needed to get uh, back on track, which for me felt like a marathon at that time. If you're going to run a marathon, if you've never run before, you're going to hire a coach. So you have to have someone who helps you with it. You're going to feed your body nutritious meals to really prepare yourself ultimately. And I think this is so important if you're going through something um, very emotionally challenging. Hire that coach or therapist or whatever. Just f be nice to yourself. Like really give yourself the same kind of treatment you would give yourself as if you were training for a triathlon or whatever it is. Really, you are training muscles just, just in a different kind of way. Yes. And I think that, I mean, that analogy, I mean, totally makes sense. And I think that will hopefully help people too, because we don't always think of that, like taking care of us and we deserve that. So, um, I mean, I know, cause I have no people have went through that and, and, you know, I don't, I don't think that, I mean, some of the times you don't always think like I deserve that or you're kind of stuck and I can see it now looking back, um, you know, and dealing with this or helping, um, one of my friends who dealt with this, I'm like, wow, we were so young, you know, and just knowing that, gosh, we should have seeked help as, you know, you know, college students we were. And I'm like, wow, just really having that knowledge and telling people that it's okay if you know someone has, ha you know, had this happen to them, like, it's okay to get and ask for help. Ask someone who's a little bit older, you know, if you are younger, you know, for help. And I think that's just a great message to, you know, tell people because it is, it's more common than probably people think or know. You probably know of someone in your life that, you know, probably has been raped and you might not know it or they haven't shared their story. So I think that's a good um, message to spread. And also something I'd love to share is that like when it happened to me, I was 21 and I, I've always said, I refuse. I'm not going to live the rest of my life um, broken down. And I totally respect that some people have um, maybe a longer road to get back on their feet. And it's not to put any anything on anyone. But for me, it was just so, I f it felt like, People expected me to stay broken forever mm -hmm. and it was just not going to happen and I was not going to accept it. So for me, and this is also why I share my story, not because I think I'm so important or whatever, but I, I needed that example in my own life. Someone who's, I'm now, I went from not being able to leave my apartment to traveling the world full time. And I think that's, that's kind of the dream life for some people. And I, it is possible and, and you can come back. And also if you have someone... Um, you who's going through something traumatic i had it the other day uh, a friend of mine uh, or an acquaintance of mine he uh, committed suicide and i was just sitting there i was just frozen i had no idea how to respond and then actually i remembered how the people responded who helped me the most in my life and those were actually just the people who said i have no idea what to say i'm feel I, I think it's very shitty i'm going to give you a hug and i'm like that's okay. I don't know what to do either. And that's also the reason why I say hire an expert, whether it's with exercising, growing through emotional trauma or whatever. Or if you have a goal, you just can't figure it out. Hire someone who knows because you don't know, your friends don't know. And the fastest way to get back on track or to achieve a goal is uh, to ask someone who has got the experience with getting himself or other people or herself there. Totally. All about taking back your power. Yeah, definitely. All right, so this is about, we're approaching our hour mark and um, we've had a great conversation. 
and definitely all about, you know, yoga and how it can heal. And, you know, hopefully other people are more drawn to yoga for many (laughs) different reasons now. Um, But where is the best place for us if we want to connect with you to connect at? Um, it's, I'm, I'm run, I run my business through my real estate business, but I'm, I'm very active on social media. So if you just go, uh, find me with my name, Merlijn Knoll, there's a Dutch name. It's a little bit uh, difficult, but you can always also find me through her way podcast. It's on Facebook. It's herwaypodcast.com And you can, um, just, you can see the stories I share of the other ladies and you can read a little bit on my blog of which I keep when, I tra- when I'm traveling the world. So every month in a different country. And uh, so if you follow, want to follow along, you can easily find me there. Perfect. And then my second to last question, um, what does peaceful power mean to you? So when I think of peaceful power, I think of, um, yeah, we're going back to yoga. I think I'm, I'm very much a convert, <laughs> but I think we're, uh, I think of a warrior too. And for anyone who doesn't know the warrior too, it's a very strong position where you have got a lot of strength in your legs, where you've got your arms extended and where you've got a gaze, like just, just very clear, like this warrior in, into, the, um, just just gazing at the wall whatever you're gazing at but you're gazing further than that just you're kind of seeing it all and for me peaceful power is also it's like having that strength but also having that calm and that grace so you you are totally in charge of yourself you are totally in control you you can control every little muscle in your body you can you can cope with any situation or um be big enough to ask help if you need others to cope with the situation but you you are in control and you've got that power and you've got that strength but you also have got the responsibility and the ability to use it wisely and you use it for good and I think that's what peaceful power uh, signifies to me that That is great you are actually the second person who's brought up warrior two with peaceful power so that must be (laughs) definitely an image that people see is the warrior two (laughs) so then my last question I always like to give a little weekly challenge to the listeners for the upcoming week what would you like the challenge to be for our listeners I love this question. I had a good think about it. And what I actually would love people to do. So um, part of the reason why people go to yoga is because they kind of want to restore themselves because we're so stressed in our lives. We're so drained. And actually what a lot of people forget is that we can also take away those things that drain us from our daily lives. So what I would love you guys to do is just really uh, every night before you uh, go to bed, write down three things that really gave you energy that day and three things that really drained you. So maybe you had a lunch with a friend and it really made you feel like energized so you could take on the world of it. And then you had a conversation maybe with your boss or whatever who really drained you and really made you maybe feel small. And you know which situations these are because you're listening to this and you can automatically recall a few instances. So I want you to write down three things that really energized you and three things that really drained you every day. And I want you to write it down because if you think about it, it's just like a passing thought. You know, it's really easy, really quick. Write it down and at the end of the week, just make a big list and see which things repeatedly show up and which things. um, So so you at the end of the week, you'll have a big list of things that energize you and things that drain you. And then you will have a list of what you want more of in your life and what you want less of in your life and you don't have to eliminate everything and you don't have to like go meditate all day or go do yoga day and drink green smoothies but if there's one thing consistently showing up and you can eliminate it do it because it will just give you so much more energy in the long run so really write it down be really honest brutally honest no one has to see the list but you but it's always great to share it with a partner who can give you uh, accountability and just really look at it and see how you can really sustainable and structurally improve your life on a consistent basis 
Well, thank you so much. That is a great, that is a great challenge. I've never heard of that challenge. I cannot wait to participate in the challenge myself. <laughs> I made it up, but like very happy. This is the, this is the Merlin Knoll challenge. And I'll, uh, I'm very excited for you guys to, uh, to try it out. And I really hope it's going to give you more energy because there's so many things in this life we can spend our energy on. And it's just, let's not like waste it on unnecessary stuff. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, it was such a pleasure having you on today. I'm so glad I got to know you a little bit better, and I hope that everyone enjoys this interview. You were amazing. Thank you so much. And you guys, whatever uh, you're listening, morning, evening, or afternoon, have a great day. And really forget, uh, don't forget to be a little bit kinder to yourself and really just, just adopt the 50% <laughs> rule. No, but just really be kind to yourself and really pet yourself on the things that you're doing great because we are way too hard for ourselves and you're doing amazing things in your life every single day. And it's really time to acknowledge that. Thank you so much. So everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. If you're looking to spread more peaceful power in your life, head on over to sapphiretraining.com, spelled S-A, the word fire, training.com for more information about how to spread your peaceful power, as well as if you want a free resource guide on to working out for your body types, that is at the top of our homepage. So go on out there and spread your peaceful power.